name is Jeremy, and I'm the campus pastor here if I've never had the chance to meet you. And here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to turn your head to your right or to your left and look at the clocks up on these walls. The time has not changed on those clocks. So in about 30 minutes, you're going to go, man, he's preaching long today. It's almost 1230. No, it will only be 1130, and I'll just be getting started. So hang with me today. It's going to be a good, good day. This past week, my oldest son, Cooper, who's about 10, who's in the fifth grade, he, he'll be 11 in a few weeks, and uh, he's in the fifth grade, and his class, uh, really a bunch of classes in the fifth grade, took a field trip. Now, this field trip was fun. Uh, I agreed to be a chaperone. He hit me up for that a couple months ago when he found out about this field trip. Uh, it cost me a pretty penny to be able to go and give of my time to go with a bunch of fifth grade. Like, I, I thought chaperones went for free. Nope. This one cost me $70 to go and spend the day. And when I say day, I mean the entire day with fifth graders. We left the school about 7.45 that morning on charter buses, and we did not arrive back to the school until almost 6.30 that night. And what did we do all day for $70? Let me tell you what your $70 would have gotten you had you chosen to chaperone fifth graders. We left and drove to Dahlonega. If you've ever been to Dahlonega, you don't know what you're missing. But uh, Dahlonega is where there are some gold mines. And so we went and toured these gold mines and we found what I was told is real gold. I'm not sure, but I do know that my son got a tube of it for about $5, and I've now requested some money back from the people I bought my wife's wedding ring from. So I went to this gold mine with these fifth graders, and we walked underground, and they showed us all these amazing things, and it was awesome. And we left there, and we went to the Smith house to eat dinner. If you've never been there, it's amazing. Uh, I, I don't know how much of the $70 was included in the lunch, but let me just tell you, it should have been a huge chunk of the money because the food was great. Then we left there, and when I was in fifth grade, that would have been the end of the field trip. We would have gotten on the buses and gone back because we went to the gold mines, we got lunch. But no, we didn't do that. We left Dahlonega, and we drove to Ella J. And then in Ella J., we went to an apple orchard, and it was awesome. Even as it rained, we were introduced to bees and trees and grass and a few apples, and apple cider, and peaches, and it was amazing. And you would think, wow, that's, that's a pretty full day. I'm not sure how that connects to gold mines, and I don't think it does, except they got a discount by using the charter buses all in one day rather than spreading them out for two separate field trips. And so we went to the apple orchard, and we picked some apples, and that was awesome. And so we left there, and you would think, man, that's got to be the end of the field trip. But no, it was not, because then we got back on the buses, and we went to Amicalola State Park, and we hiked up to the top of a waterfall, which is what you want to do with a bunch of fifth graders after being trapped in a charter bus all day with them after gold mines, the Smith House, and apple orchards. Now you want to lose them in the waterfall because that's really what you want to do after you've paid $70 to spend all day with them. And so we got done at uh, marching up the waterfall. We came back down, and then they showed us some snakes, which was awesome. That was actually a part of the day. And then we finished with the snakes, and then they showed us a presentation called Birds of Prey. And I sat in a closed and fine space with some owls that wanted to kill me and a vulture that wanted to peck my eyes out. And I was thinking, man, this was the best $70 I've ever spent in my entire life. And then we got back on the bus, and I was sitting in the very last row of the charter bus, just very near to the pleasant-smelling bathroom on the charter bus, that a bunch of fifth graders decided they've never seen a bathroom on a bus, so they all wanted to use it just to see what it was like. And so I'm the one that kept opening and closing the doors, and man, was it awesome. Let me just tell you. And just before we pulled back into my son's elementary school, right before it happened, 
my son, fifth grade, 11 years old, who's usually ashamed to be seen with me in public, leans over and lays his head on my shoulder and says, Dad, thanks so much for coming today. This was awesome. And then I thought, that's the best $70 I've ever spent. Because, yeah, right? Because here's, here's what he was doing. He was expressing gratitude. He was saying, thanks, Dad. He, he doesn't really, like at fifth grade, I'm, I'm sure he has a somewhat of a, an understanding of money and the value of money, but he doesn't really understand $70 versus $50 or $20. He doesn't really understand that because he had to pay to go on the trip too, so it was a $140 day for me. But every penny was worth it when my son leaned over and said, Dad, thanks for today. That was awesome. This was a good day. And you know what? I agreed with him. Because at the end of that day, still riding near the very unpleasant smell of a charter bus bathroom, with apple juice on my arm from helping a child who should have been able to do it on his own, pick apples off of a tree, and cider on my shoes where it was spilled by a fifth grade girl, I thought, man, this was a good day because my son expressed gratitude. And that's really what this series is about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this idea of gratitude and the power of gratitude. So if you've got a Bible, flip with me today to Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a, a bound Bible, something in print, maybe you have an app on your phone or some type of tablet or device that will allow you to follow along. If you don't, there's going to be these scriptures, most of them on the screen today. We're going to look really all four of these weeks in the book of Luke uh, and so that's one of the Gospels. It's one of the first few books of the New Testament. It's really where we find most of the writings about the person and the life of Jesus Christ. And so today we're in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read beginning in verse 11. We're actually going to come back in three weeks to Luke 17 and read another portion of this scripture. But today in Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, I want us to read from verse 11 all the way to 19, and then we'll spend some time today kind of unpacking this. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, talking about Jesus, between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as he went there, they were cleansed. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And as I so often say when we look at passages like this, there's so much that we could unpack. There really is a ton of great truth in this passage of Scripture. But we just want to look at a few things today. I want you to focus on verse 12 just for a minute. And this is what it says. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. Now, here's what you need to know about lepers. You may be familiar with this idea that lepers could not be a part of kind of the normal traffic flow of the town. Lepers were these guys who had to stay at a great distance. There were also guys and girls that were a part of this group of people who had some type of condition, which we're going to talk about in a second, which did not allow them to just kind of hang out with people. Like there's a, a crowd of people that are following along with Jesus, but the lepers could not be a part of the crowd. They had to be on the outside. 
They had to be uh, separated from the people of the town because of their condition. And so what they had to do, they couldn't just lean in and touch Jesus as other people in the gospel accounts did when they needed a miracle from him. They had to get his attention by calling out with a loud voice, but they had this condition that caused them to have to be separated. And there's a lot of places in scripture that we read about leprosy. We read about what leprosy is. And, you know, in that day and time when medical science wasn't maybe as advanced as today's medical science is, there were a lot of things included in this idea of leprosy that today we have very common understandings about what they are. But if you, if you have a, a Bible that easily flips or you want to flip with me, Leviticus 13 is one of the places is really in Leviticus 13 and 14, where we see a lot of the definition of leprosy. And again, some of these things that are described here, as you read through them, and we're not going to read all of them today, as you read through them, you would go, I know exactly what that is. Like, I've had that, and I don't put myself outside the city for a time. Like, there's ointment for that now. I just rub it on and keep going along my day. But here's what we read in Leviticus 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease and when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Now, that's not really what I wanted to read today other than the fact that that's nasty and I just thought it would be great to read that to you today. But man, when we read that, we go, ooh, right? Well, that's exactly what the people in the Old Testament and in this, this part of history did. Anytime they saw any type of rash, any time they saw any kind of swelling, any time that they saw what today we might refer to as acne or, or, or uh, psoriasis or dermatitis or something like that on the skin, they would go, ooh, that's exactly what they would do. And so what we have here is God helping to lay out through Moses how they should respond to people that had something going on that they weren't really sure about. They had to go and present themselves to the priest. Now, the priest was not a medical doctor. He wasn't there to say, here's what your condition is. He took all of the identifiers that are listed here in Leviticus 13 and 14, and that really kind of brings in about 21 different descriptive conditions that could have been included as something called leprosy. And again, today we might call them by some other common name. But in this passage, we see that there's a bunch of things that the priest could look at that. He could kind of go back to the law and he could say, okay, I see this. Here's what I'm, I'm seeing on your arm or here's what I'm seeing somewhere on your body. And I, okay, I'm reading. This is the descriptors of those conditions and go, okay, you are now unclean. So these guys and these girls who would have been called unclean because of something that today might just be something very common, now they have to declare that they're unclean. If it progresses, if it gets worse, if it's something more serious than maybe some of the conditions that you and I might refer to today, if it's very serious, eventually they're gonna be put outside the city and they're not really allowed to come back inside the city, except for very rare occasions. And even when they do, anytime they're walking down the streets, before they come in contact with anybody, they have to start yelling, unclean, unclean so that no one around could mistake the fact that they are someone who has a condition that may or may not be contagious, that may or may not be kind of the, the biggest deal about them that, that somebody else doesn't want to catch, doesn't want to touch, doesn't want to be near. So they just got to walk down the streets going, unclean, unclean. And so you can imagine that instead of doing that, what they do is they just keep to themselves. And then they find a bunch of other unclean people, and those are the people that they choose to hang out with. 
Now today, if you have a skin condition, you don't have to do that. You just go to the doctor and you get some medicine and you find some way or you let it heal up and you just keep going about your day. So it's not leprosy anymore that really keeps us away from the crowds. It's something else. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know why you start to gravitate towards other groups of people that, are in common with, that have something in common with you or why you feel unclean. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something about your reputation. Someone one time called you unclean in a different sort of way, in a different use of words. They called you by a different name that then instead of wearing a scarlet letter, you just kind of wore this label, I'm unclean. I'm unfit. I'm somebody who doesn't fit in. I'm an outcast. I'm an oddball. I'm someone who can't be with the masses. I can't be with the crowds. I've got to hang out by myself outside the city, outside of the, 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 the popular people. I've got to be apart. I've got to be over here by myself until you find somebody else that's unclean. You go, man, there's something wrong with you, and there's something wrong with me, and those people over there don't get us, and so we'll just kind of hang out together. And now you end up in a group of people who have this thing in common that they are now shaped and labeled and identified by something that someone else called them some time back unclean, unfit. So now you're just hanging out. And then what if you were in that group and one day you heard that there was a guy walking by and he had healed people like you. He had the power to change your story. So you're standing here and you see him passing by what would you do? I think you would do some of what they did. You say, Jesus, Lord, Master, have mercy on us. You have the power to change my identity. You have the power to change my condition. You have the power for everybody else to see me differently than they see me now. I no longer have to walk around declaring myself unclean because someone back there declared me unclean. Maybe you would scream out and say, Jesus, Lord, Master, please have mercy on me. Because see, those outside, those far away, always get the attention of Jesus. People far away always get the attention of Jesus. And so here's what I would say to you today. If you think you're far away, if you're outside, if you're unfit, if you're unclean, Jesus is looking for you. All you have to do is call out. All you have to do is cry out. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever that feels like for you, and I promise you, he will hear you. Let's keep reading. Verse 12 through 14 of what we've already read says this, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. I've read it a bunch. I've heard it preached a lot of different times in a lot of different ways. But I'm not sure that I ever fully appreciated what we just read. Because what we were just reading here is that Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. Now, I already told you, they had to be declared clean or unclean by the priest. Even if they had been set aside for seven days, if it was something that looked like it was going to be temporary, 
The priest would say, you're unclean. They had to set apart for seven days. They would come back and be checked again. He would say, nope, you're still not well. Seven more days. And then they would cast them out of the city. Or maybe they'd say, okay, yeah, now you're clean. So you come back. You do a ritual of of cleansing. And then you come back. And now you're a part of everyday society. And so Jesus, when he's going to do this miracle, he says, okay, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, if you see the timeline of this story, he does not do what he's done before and heal them and then go tell them to get checked. He says, they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And the first thing that Jesus said is, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, that seems a little weird to me because I would think that they would want to go to the priest once they've been made clean so that the priest could confirm the miracle of Jesus. And that's not what Jesus does here. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. And this is what we just read. It says this, and as they went... They were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. They weren't made clean until they moved. As they went, they were cleansed. I've talked about my kids a lot already today, but our daughter, Kinley, who's four, was playing in our floor the other night. And I was sitting on the edge of the bed, and I think I might have been watching a ball game or something, and it was almost bedtime, and Corey was sitting in the chair in our room, and who knows what the boys were doing, probably trying to burn down the house somewhere. I'm not sure, but Kenley was playing, and she was being sweet, and I don't know why. Honestly, I'm not even sure what my motivation was, but I just said, Kenley, I was watching her play. I just said, Kenley, come give Daddy a hug. She did what any sweet little girl would do. She completely ignored me. (laughs) So I said again, I said, Kenley, Come give daddy a hug. Daddy loves you. Come give daddy a hug. She completely ignored me. As if I weren't even in the room, which is not an oddity. I said one more time, Kinley, come give daddy a hug. She didn't say a word. Honestly, I wanted to have her hearing checked. Like, I was convinced she can't hear me speaking to her. So I kind of looked at Corey, and I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, man, this girl, she is a mess. Pray for us. Lord, help us, Jesus. Right? And I went back to watching the game, and a couple of minutes later, Kinley looks up. Whatever game she was playing now needed me, right? Oh, you see where this is going. So she said to me, Daddy, will you come play with me? And I did what any great father would do. I said, yeah, give me a hug. (laughs) Now, no, no, it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. I was trying to teach her a lesson. So I said to her, no, come give me a hug. I, I said, I, just a minute ago, I asked you for a hug, and you didn't give me a hug, and now you want me to play? And I said, how is that fair? And this is what she said, four years old. This is what she said, Daddy, if you come play with me, I'll give you a hug. <laughs> I don't know where she learned that. I think her mother, maybe. I, I honestly don't know. No, she did what we do, right? That's what we do. Our affection is conditionally based. Our love is conditionally based. Our actions are conditionally, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. When you quit doing that for me, I quit doing this for you. It was sad. It broke my heart a little bit. You know what I did? I got down on the floor and I played with her, hug or no hug. Eventually, she did give me a hug, but I played. And it was this amazing thing that I watched happen here where she wanted me to move first before she did something that I had asked her to do. 
And when I was reading this story and I was, I was kind of looking at what we just saw in that text, I'm thinking, I feel like that's what I do to God sometimes. Like I say to God, yes, God, I need this from you. And you're asking for my obedience and you're asking for me to do this. And for, but God, you move first and then I'll go. You do this and then I'll do that. Like, God, you prove yourself to me, and then I'll start joining a small group. I'll start serving. I'll start going to church. I'll start giving. But, God, you bless me. Increase my finances, and then I'll give. Because when I have more money, then I'll give. But the principle is exactly the same. We give out of what we have. We serve out of the time that we have. We join this life group because we believe it's something that adds value to our lives. We attend church not out of a duty, not out of a sense of duty. We attend church because we believe there's value in fellowship and community and in the corporate gathering of God's people and Sometimes we just go, no, God, you move first, and then I'll move. And what Jesus said to these ten lepers who had this condition that pushed them outside of the city, that pushed them outside of the group, that caused them to have to say, unclean, unclean. Jesus said, okay, let's see. Now, this is Jeremy's translation. This is nowhere in your Bible. Don't go looking for it. I think Jesus is like, okay, let's see if you really believe that I have the power to do what you're asking me to do. And so he said, Go and show yourself to the priest. I don't know that any of them said this to Jesus, but I would want to ask in that moment, okay, well, I've still got this rash right here, though. Like, if I, I've been to the priest. Like, he's going to see that immediately when I walk in. Like, he's going to know that I'm still unclean. But as soon as they moved, as soon as they started walking, as soon as they started in the direction of the priest, Somewhere along the journey, said, as they went, they were cleansed. We see this time and time and time again in Scripture, and it's such good reading. He says, march around Jericho seven times, and the city is yours. But the reality was, the first six and a half days and the first six and a half times on the seventh day, the city was not theirs. It was still fortified, and the people on the inside still wanted to kill the people on the outside. He says, no, 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 go, go show yourself to the priest. And it's like, well, but wait, I, I'm still unclean. Why would I go show myself to the guy who's just going to call me unclean again? My condition has not changed. And here's the question that I wrote down for me, and maybe it applies to you this morning. Does my faith allow me to obey God when what he said isn't true yet? D does my faith in God allow me to obey God? When what I believe about God isn't the reality yet. We read through the Bible and it says that we win. Some days it feels like we're losing. We read Jeremiah 29, 11 and it's on our coffee mugs and a Facebook meme and it's awesome and it says the Lord has plans for you and there are some days when you go, there's no plan here. Like this is chaos. This doesn't feel like God even knows about today, much less my future. Do I have enough faith to trust God to get up on the seventh day when I've walked for six days and the city has not changed one bit. And you go, God, you said walk six days one time and on the seventh day walk seven times. And so I'm just going to walk and I'm just going to walk and halfway through the day my condition hasn't changed and I'm just going to keep walking and all of a sudden we see the miracle of God. Or I've got leprosy and he says, go show yourself to the priest. And so I go, I don't, I don't know how this works, God, because I'm still unclean, but okay, I'm just going to walk. And as soon as we move, as soon as we show God that there's nothing more important than the words that he's commanded to us, immediately we're made clean. Does my faith in God allow me to obey God when what he said isn't true 
yet. Now, I don't know how that works for you. I don't know how you make that happen in your head. Again, I've talked about my kids all day. I promise next week I'll only refer to them 10 or 12 dozen times. But here's what I'm going to say to you today. When I read this, I go back to my role as a father. If I said to my son Branson, who's just one of the two kids I haven't talked about yet today, if I said to my son Branson, Branson, for Christmas, I'm going to get you something that you want. And then today I went out and I bought him a brand new baseball glove. And then tomorrow I said to him, Branson, I love your new baseball glove. How do you think he would respond? I think he would freak out and ask me every hour on the hour if he could have his new baseball glove. But the reality is between now and Christmas, he doesn't have a new baseball glove. I'm holding a baseball glove that belongs to him. And so here's what I believe about what Scripture tells me, that God is a better father than I am, and he has better gifts for me than I give to my own children. And so even if I don't possess the gifts that my father's promised me, he's holding them in his hand, waiting on the right moment to deliver them into mine. Do I have enough faith to believe and obey God when what he has said isn't true yet. God's not keeping something from you because he's mean. The timing may just not be right yet. So here's some things that I wrote down for me. Sometimes you have to move before the miracle is made known, and sometimes you have to believe before the facts make sense, and sometimes you have to trust when you, that what you heard from God doesn't match what you see with your eyes. Sometimes you just have to do. The Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. So what if your financial miracle is just on the other side of you beginning to trust God and give? What if your new job breakthrough is just on the other side of you actually sending out resumes rather than waiting on somebody to call you? What if the relational healing in your family is just on the other side of you picking up the phone and making the call rather than waiting on them to call first and apologize? They were cleansed as they went, not before they moved. That could be the one thing that is missing in our lives. Instead of waiting on God to do it and then we respond, what if God wants us to respond first and then he moves? So here's what I would say to you today. Get going. Let's finish up. Verses 15 through 19. Luke 17 says this. Then one of them... Remember, there were 10. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, they're still on the way. He saw that he was healed. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's what I love about this passage, this part of the passage. It says that he was praising God with a loud voice, which is interesting to me because the lepers were screaming with a loud voice to get Jesus' attention. I mean, when I read that, there was something that leapt in my heart and convicted me and challenged me all at the same time. Does the level of my praise match the urgency of my prayers? Somebody else may have said that somewhere, and it's just in my subconscious, but I believe the Holy Spirit put that in my heart because I've prayed some urgent prayers. I've needed God to show up, and I am intent on being as loud as I need to be, as urgent as I need to be to get God's attention and say, God, I need you to show up right here. But when he answers the prayer, I don't know that I'm always praising him with the same level of intensity. I might say, well, 
thank you, God, for showing up, you know. Like, thank you for answering my prayers, God. <laughs> like, I don't even know this song. I mean, I don't know why people do this in worship. It feels like they're getting robbed. I can't figure out what's happening. So, like, does the level of my praise match the urgency of my prayers? This leper was standing outside the group. Unclean. Unclean. Master, Jesus, have mercy on me. And then Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And he just starts walking. And about halfway there, he goes, oh my. I'm not unclean anymore. And instead of continuing to walk, he's actually a little bit disobedient because Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. Before he even goes and does that, he comes back and he says, Jesus, thank you so much. I was unclean and now I'm not. And my condition has changed. Some of us, we'd be on our way and we go, man, look at that. I'm going to a restaurant. We're going to celebrate and eat. I can go inside now. I don't have to eat out back anymore. Does the level of my praise match the urgency of my prayers? You know what this man was doing? He was showing gratitude. He was being grateful. He was saying thanks to a God that he was trusting for his healing before it ever happened. The power of gratitude got Jesus' attention. And look at this. This is verse 15 and 19. This is what it says. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Look at the last sentence. And he, Jesus, said to him, the leper, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. As far as we know, that one leper never made it to Jesus. I never made it to the priest because he turned around and came back to Jesus. We know that the priest was not the one that could heal him. Jesus was. We know that all the priest could do was look at the word of God and say, well, what I see on you looks like it's clean. You were once unclean, but what I see now looks like a different condition. And so now I'm going to say that you're, you're clean. But instead of going there, he went back to the Son of God, who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word looked at him and said, Your faith has made you whole. He didn't have to look in any scroll. He didn't have to look at the law. He looked to the Father. And he looked at a man who was grateful for what the Father could do and he said, your faith has made you whole. Now, when I read this, here's what I'm confronted with. Not only did the man move first before God did anything, he was, before he was healed, he moved and all that stuff. Like, that's good, but here's, here's where I land in verses 15 and 19. That he came back and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, your faith, which produced a response of gratitude, which altered your journey and brought you back to me, made you whole. And so when I'm reading this text, I'm wondering what Jesus would say about me. 
What do you say, Jeremy? You are a grateful person. The things that I've blessed you with, you always come back and say thank you. At the end of the day, you snuggle up to me on the back of a charter bus and lay your head on my shoulder and say, Abba, Father, thank you for today. Today was a good day. Or does he say, you know, Jeremy, I've given you a lot. I've blessed you with so many things. And I hate to tell you this, Jeremy, but when I look at your heart, I see ungratefulness. I see this sense of entitlement that you think I owe you something. That you think everything that I've done for you was already due to you. And you don't respond with gratitude. You don't respond and say, God, thank you so much that I was unclean and you made me clean. That I had to be outside, but you brought me inside the family of God. Thank you, God, that you changed my condition. You just show up. And you think that this was what was supposed to happen. And you're not grateful and you're not thankful. and You're like the nine that just kept walking. Instead of the one who realized that there was something different and it had to be traced back to Jesus and he couldn't keep going about his day before he stopped to say thank you God I thank you for every person in this room I thank you for every hand that was lifted maybe a half dozen hands that said today I'm unclean and I want to be made clean through the person and the work of Jesus Christ God, your word tells us that when even one responds, that there's a party in heaven. So today, there's a huge party for the six people that responded today. And we celebrate along with the angels because we exist so that people who are far away, who get Jesus' attention, they get ours. So God, we thank you today for those folks. And God, I pray for them today as they walk out of this place and as they walk into the next few days that God, you would help them to stand strong in you, that you would be their strength when they are weak. And we now stand against every tactic of the enemy to try to overtake them and to remind them of the, who they were. That's not who they are anymore. They weren't, they're not unclean anymore. They're clean in you today. God, thank you for that. And I thank you for the folks that lifted their hand and said, I want to be grateful for the work of God in my life. God, my hand was up alongside of them, and I thank God for everything that you've done for me. God, I thank you that I too am made clean, and I ask you today to help me to live a life of gratitude. Let me be the one and not a part of the nine. Don't let my busyness get in the way of a heart of gratitude. Let me always come back to Jesus. And God, I pray that the level of my praise matches the urgency of my prayer. God, I thank you that you respond to that. In Jesus' name I pray.